السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمدا عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك عليه وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد So welcome to another lesson of Quranic per question inshallah ta'ala today we're going to continue with the tafsir of surah al-inshiqaq and last week or by the end of last week we had covered the first five verses of surah al-inshiqaq in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking or speaks about the ahwal of yawm al-qiyamah the changes and the transformations that will take place on the day of judgment and how when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees that the hour should come or that the trumpet be blown that a number of transformations will take place in the heavens and upon the earth as Allah azza wa told us within those five verses from them is that the heavens will be ripped apart and from them is that the ground will be made or the earth will be made flat and stretched out and from them is that the earth will also throw out cast out everything that is contained therein as we mentioned last week with a uh, different uh, different interpretations of exactly what it is that it is casting out whether it is only the dead from within the belly of the earth that are being cast out or whether it is more generic and includes things like the treasures of the earth as we mentioned last week some of the narrations say that the treasures of the earth will be cast out also and it will be they will be like large pillars of gold and and gems and precious diamonds and so on and then the people will realize that this is what they fought their whole life for this is what they spent their whole life trying to gain and then they will be remorseful that they wasted so much time in the pursuit of the dunya when the reality of the issue is that on yawm al-qiyamah Allah azza wa will give no significance to those issues of the dunya that those people coveted and so you have those different tafasir. But either way, Allah Azza wa is speaking about the changes that will take place on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And for both of those changes, whether in the heavens and the earth, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala twice repeats the verse, وَأَذِّنَتْ لِرَبِّهَا وَحُقَّتْ It listens to the command of its Lord, it obeys the command of its Lord as it rightly must. Allah Azza wa mentions in verse number 2, after speaking about the changes that will occur in the heavens, He mentions it Subh'anaHu Wa Taala in verse number 5 after mentioning the differences or the changes that will occur upon the earth. And we said uh, last week also that the scholars of tafsir or the scholars of the Arabic language also, they differed as to whether the verse in the Sama'un the opening verse of Surah Al-Shiqaq, whether it is a khabar or it is a qasam, whether it's an oath that Allah Azza wa is taking or whether it is simply a sentence or a verse in which Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala is speaking about something which will take place in the future on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And we mentioned that those scholars who said that it is a qasam, that it's an oath, they then differed amongst themselves as to what is the jawabul qasam, what is the, uh, the, the, the reason for which the oath is being taken, taken. And then they differed over a number of positions also from them, is that it's verse 6 and verse 7, that these are the verses for which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took the jawab, or took the qasam rather, took the oath. Another said that it is mahdhuf, that it's something which is hidden, but it's understood in the context. Either way, that's a uh, you know a different discussion and only relevant if you take the position of there being a qasim in this verse an oath that is being taken by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse if you take the position of the majority which is that there is no oath there is no qasim it is a khabar 
and a khabar is a is a, is a sentence that's being mentioned or, or information that's being given or news that Allah Azza wa is bringing to light then there is no qasim and therefore because there's no oath we don't require a jawab al-qasim also we don't require a reason or a subject for which the oath was taken so that's like a very brief recap of what we've done over the last like two three weeks and inshallah ta'ala today we continue from verse number six and that is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajeem ya ayyuhal insanu innaka kadihun ila rabbika kadhan famulaqih in the translation of Sahih International, O mankind, indeed, indeed you are laboring towards your Lord with great exertion and will meet it. In the translation of Mufti Taqi, O man, you have had to work hard constantly to reach your Lord and then you have to meet him. Professor Abdul Harim, O people, you are toiling laboriously towards your Lord, will meet him. And Muhsin Khan, O man, verily you are t- returning towards your Lord with your deeds and actions, good or bad, assure returning, and you will meet the results of your deeds which you did. We have a couple of, um, before we begin, we have, or before we go actually into the tafsir, we have some, some issues of the Arabic language here in this verse that I think is interesting for us just to highlight at the beginning before we go into the details of this verse. So at the beginning we have what we call a harfun nida in the Arabic language, which is the word ya. And ya in the Arabic language is a harfun nida. Nida means a call, an address. So when you call out to someone, it is called harfun nida. So when you say ya, so you say ya Umar, ya Zubair, or as you will often find in the hadith of the Prophet wasallam, the companions will often say ya Rasulallah, O Messenger of Allah. Right? Uh, these are called nida'at. They are calls that are given. And Allah Azza wa Jalla, as we mentioned before, and we've already kind of covered this in detail, so we're not going to go into the whole thing again. But we've mentioned a number of times now that Allah Azza wa Jalla often gives what we call or makes nida'at in the Quran, makes calls that He calls out people. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, or you who believe. Ya ayyuhannas, O mankind. Ya ahlal kitab, O people of the book. Ya ayyuhannabi, O prophet. And then Allah Azza wa Jalla calls people by their names. Ya Ibrahim, Ya Nuh. Ya Musa, that's very common in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya Adam, even Ya Iblis. Right? Allah Azza wa Jal calls out to certain people or certain of his creations within, within the Quran. And it's also mentioned, uh, therefore, commonly in the Sunnah. You will find many a hadith in which the word Ya is used as a way of calling someone during the retention, speaking to them, addressing them. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks, uh, does something similar. And he says, Jalla fi insan. And the word insan, as we know, is the is the singular of the word nas. So nas refers to all humans, all people, all mankind. Whereas insan is an individual. It's one person. It's one of the humans. And that's going to be a discussion also, as we've mentioned before, based upon that wording of insan, you will often find in the books of Tafsir that some of the scholars say, yes, it's a, it's a, it's a word that speaks about an individual. But the meaning is more generic, and that is very common. Uh, and you know, even in the principles of usul al-fiqh, you will study this. That sometimes the nida is given, but it's more am. It is, it is something which is more, more, more wide and more generic. And often this is mentioned, for example, in the Quran, in, 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 especially in the Book of Allah Azza wa Jal, when the nida comes to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, is the nida the call 
that's addressing the Prophet is it something which therefore means that what's going to be mentioned in that verse is specific to and only to the Prophet or is it general? But Allah is addressing the Prophet in the first instance. Like for example in the verse يَا أَيُّهَا النَّبِيُّ إِذَا طَلَّقْتُمُ النِّسَاءِ فَطَلِّقُوهُنَّ لِعِدَّتِهِنَّ وَحْصُ الْعِدَّةِ O Prophet, if you were to divorce one of your women, then divorce them for the idda period, the waiting period that they have to have after that divorce. This verse is addressed to the Prophet However, by ijma' of the scholars, it's something which is عام. It applies to all of the ummah. It's not just specific to them. Any person who divorces has to go through whatever that respective idda will be, and that idda will differ, obviously, depending on the circumstance of the woman at that time. But the point being that there is an idda that has to be observed. So the verse speaks or addresses the Prophet ﷺ, but it is more uh, generic, more general in terms of who is being uh, referred to, who the verse is applying to. And so this is something very common in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, especially when it comes to this type of context. However, sometimes no, it's specific to the Prophet ﷺ. O Messenger, convey what your Lord gave to you of the message. That's specifically to the Prophet ﷺ in that first particular instance because he is the one that was given the Prophethood, the mission, the ministry from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to preach the message of Tawheed. So this is like a, a discussion anyway that's like had in, 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 in the context of the Qur'an, especially when it comes to these different types of calls that are given. And then you will find therefore that often in, in the books of Tafsir, when a, a especially when the wording is ya yuhal insan for example or oh, oh, oh people see the translation all of them they said oh people but the literal translation will be oh person right oh person oh oh you know individual um oh man as in single man as opposed to man as in, in all of mankind um the the scholars often then have a discussion as to whether allah is referring to a specific individual here in this verse, or whether it's meant to be general. Allah is saying it in the singular form, but often, as we've mentioned before in the Quran, often the singular is used and the plural is being referred to. And plurals are used, but it is the individual, the singular, that is being intended. That's something very common in Arabic language. They often interchange these pronouns and, and these types of words, uh, plurals and, and, and singulars and duals, often done within the Arabic language. So here, uh, you will find, therefore, that the scholars of Tafsir, they will differ over things like this. Is it an individual that's being referred to? That doesn't mean only that it's only that person, but it was revealed because of him. He was the main person that was being intended by this verse, and then clearly anyone that is similar to him. That ruling will apply to others as well. And others will say, no, it is a general thing. It is just a, a, a convention of the Arabic language that sometimes the singular form is used but what is being referred to or what is intended by it is the plural meaning all of the people, all of mankind. So that's one thing. Then we have the second thing which is the word kadh. Kadihan ila rabbika kadha. The word kadh and what it refers to. And kadh in Arabic language refers to something which requires a great deal of effort. Requires a great deal of effort. Requires a great deal of, of hardship and work and toil. And that's why you often find in these translations that we have that I just read out. Like for example, uh, Professor Abdul Halim says, toiling laboriously towards your Lord. And Nufti Taqi said, 
work hard constantly. Right, Sahih International said, laboring towards your Lord. Uh, and so these are like the translations that are given, you know, with great exertion. And that's because of the word kadh. Kadh is someone who has to go through a great deal of hardship and difficulty and a great deal of labor, like just hardship, in order for them to be able to get to their destination, to meet their objective, to get to where it is that they are going. And that's why Abdullah ibn Mubarak, the famous Imam ibn Mubarak, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said in his book in which he mentions the words that are gharib in the Qur'an, uh, as we mentioned a few weeks back when we did that special, the QP special on the, on the science of gharib al-Qur'an and those unfamiliar words in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is a good example of them. He said that the word kadih means meaning someone has to work hard in order to earn. Right? So some people have to do that. Even their jobs are very manual labor jobs. They're very very difficult jobs they they take a great deal of effort in order to be able in order for them to be able to to perform their tasks and their jobs and other people know their jobs are relatively easy in terms of the exertion that has to be given the physical toil upon their bodies and the stress and so on uh, and ibn qutayba also said something similar he was saying someone has to work very difficult in order in order to earn right so this is someone who who throughout their life and, and that is the reality of most people because everyone in their life is going through hardship and some type of toil, some type of, of difficult labor in order for them to be able to achieve what it is that they want to achieve. So Allah uses that word also, the word kadh, and, and obviously we'll come into this in terms of its meaning in the context of this verse in a short while in more detail. And then the third uh, thing in terms of the language or the linguistic uh, benefits of this verse is the last word, فَمُلَاقِي will meet it. Right? And I think all of the the translations kind of said it. Or Sahih International said it, which is what the pronoun, the ha, you know, is. فَمُلَاقِي they will meet it. Uh, others, such as Mufti Taqi, Professor Al-Harim, said meet him, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And others, such as Muhsin Khan, said that it refers to the deeds. You will meet the results of your deeds which you did. And that's because the scholars did differ in tafsir in terms of what that pronoun is referring to. You will meet it. What is the it? Some of them said it refers to Allah Azza wa Jal. You are laboriously toiling towards an end. What is that end? Towards your Lord. Towards your Lord and you will surely meet him, meaning your Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another said, no, meaning you will meet the, the, the results of your efforts. The results of your efforts, what you laboured towards, what you toiled to, what you spent all of that effort trying to gain, you will see the result of that on Yawm Al-Qiyamah because in terms of the deeds or your, your actions that will be presented to you. Uh, and so you have also that, that discussion that takes place as well. So those are the three things uh, that you will find in terms of the Arabic language in this verse. Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhuma, he said concerning this verse تعمل وعملا تلقى الله به خيرا كان أو شرع and Allah Azza wa Jal says that you are laboriously toiling towards your akhirah, your Lord meaning the meeting with Allah Azza wa Jal on Yawm Al-Qiyamah it's referring to all of the actions that you do with which you will meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be they good or be they evil be they good or be they evil and so this is everything therefore it's not just referring to even the word kadh is often used in terms of the physical effort and toil that a person has to do, 
but it's also referring in this context it's referring to all of the deeds that you perform and that's because whether those deeds are good or whether those deeds are evil both of them required effort both of them required a, a, a level of exertion in order for that person to perform those deeds even good deeds require effort someone who fasts ramadan someone who prays every day five times a day someone who goes perform umrah performs hajj all of these major acts of worship in our religion reads the Qur'an, finishes the Qur'an, memorizes the Qur'an, seeks knowledge, learns, whatever it is, teaches, all of these things require a great deal of effort. And they require someone to work tirelessly towards an end goal. And so whether it's good, that's what they get. And if it's evil, that person's stealing, that person's uh, harming others, that person's killing people, that person's doing a great deal of evil, whatever it may be, that also is going to take from them a great deal of effort, it's going to exert exertion from them, take time, take effort, take a great deal of, 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 of uh, toil and, and wear and tear upon their bodies and physically, mentally, the stress that it takes. So this is what they're referring to. Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala, he, uh, he said that the verse is amilan lahu amala that the one who's laboriously toiling towards their Lord, meaning that they're performing the actions that they're performing. And it's very similar uh, to the, the previous statement of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhum. And Qatada also has another statement of his that he says, That your efforts, no matter how much you do, will always be weak efforts. Because that's the nature of humans in your ibadah. No matter how good your ibadah is, how much you do, there's still going to be deficiency in it. And whether it's your work or whether it's your job or whether it's your family, there is always weakness in the efforts of a human. So whoever can make their meager efforts because all of your efforts together combined isn't going to amount for a great deal. But if you, uh, if you, if you use that time and effort to do it for the worship of Allah and the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that is better for you. So you have, and we know this is a reality, what Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala is saying is that you only have a limited amount of time, a limited amount of effort that you can give, a limited capacity to do things. So you then have to choose what you're going to spend your time and focus on. Now for most people that will be, that their main focus will be on, for example, their families, for example, their, their, their job, their career, their, their livelihood and so on. And as we've said before, there's nothing wrong with that from an Islamic point of view. So long as, and especially if you can make that as part of your greater intention to obey Allah and to worship Allah Azza wa Jal. But no doubt that's not the same as someone who exerts all of their time and effort in the worship and obedience of Allah Azza wa Jal, dedicates their whole life to a pursuit of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so this is something which I think is, is also very, um, you know, very important. Uh, the statement of Qatada rahimullah ta'ala because it's something which all of us know as a reality. Often I get asked this question by people that come and say, you know, I don't have the time and the capacity to seek knowledge, learn Arabic, memorize Quran. So which one of the three can I do? I don't have, I don't have the time to read Quran, for example, and learn Arabic, but also uh, help with this charity or do X, Y, Z. I have to choose between them. And that's because we all realize that there is a limited capacity to what we have in terms of time. Now, I don't necessarily like those types of questions, the either or. I think that that's like a problem, and especially when it comes to knowledge that people say we only focus on one thing, or we can only focus on Quran at the exclusion of other things, or only focus on Arabic at the exclusion of Quran. 
I think that's not really the mindset of the of the of, of the student of knowledge. However, the point is is you know the principle is understood because people are just saying we don't have the time and the capacity. So Qatada is saying that you will only have meek efforts, whatever they're going to be. But if you can make those meager efforts directed towards worship and acts of worship and obedience, it's better than the meager efforts that you have are in terms of your dunya, but you don't really benefit in terms of the akhirah. And so I think that is, uh, and the haq has something similar uh, in terms of that statement also. So I think these are the, 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 the point mentioned by Qatada, rahimahullah ta'ala, from the scholars of the tabi'een, is a nice point in terms of trying to do your utmost in terms of the spare time that you do have, the capacity that you do have, uh, when and, and when and where that, that opportunity arises for you to learn a little, to study a little, to come closer to Allah Azza wa Jal in whichever way you choose, that's a, an opportunity that you should grasp to the best of your ability because all of your efforts, all of our efforts will be weak. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and, and those are just some overviews therefore of, of the, the statements of the scholars of tafsir and, and similar to them is the statement of Imam al-Tabari uh, rahimahullah ta'ala. He says that all mankind you, will, you are working and your actions will lead to your Lord. You will meet your Lord with those deeds that you perform, with those actions that you perform. Whether those deeds were good or whether those deeds were evil. So whosoever wants to use their actions to save them from the wrath of Allah Azza wa Jal and to bring about Allah's pleasure, then that is something which they, uh, rather you should be from amongst those people, rather you should be from amongst those people who their efforts therefore and their actions will save them from the wrath of Allah and give them the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not to be from those who will earn Allah's wrath and anger and as a result be destroyed. So those are overviews of what the verse means from some of the Salaf, Ibn Abbas and Qatada and Imam Al-Tabari, Rahimahumullahu Ta'ala. Uh, the first issue that we mentioned was, Ya Yuhal Insan, who is this verse referring to? The position of the majority of the scholars is that it's referring to humans in general, all of mankind. It's a general verse, as Al-Qurtubi and others said. Al-Muradu bil-Insan al-Jins, a Ibn Adam. Uh, the, the meaning of the word insan is just referring to people in general. When you say this person, you don't necessarily mean that individual. You just give him as an example of a wider issue, right? a wider issue that's taking place. And so therefore, that's what Allah Azza wa is doing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying insan in the singular form, but he doesn't, refer, he doesn't mean a single person. He is referring to or intending all of mankind because all of us are, or, or the principle applies to all of us equally. But others said, as we mentioned before, when you get these words like insan, you will find amongst the, the, the books of tafsir and amongst the scholars of tafsir, those who said, no, actually, in the first instance, we're referring to an individual. Uh, and so others said, who are mu'ayyan. Allah Azza wa is referring to an individual first and foremost. Who is that individual? They then differed amongst themselves concerning that. Some of them said, Allah is referring to all of the disbelievers because they are the ones who labor uh, in that way, toil in that way, uh, in terms of their actions, because they have very little to present before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah Azza wa Jal is referring to the kuffar, he's referring to the non-believers. Others said, no, he's referring to individuals from the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, such as Ubay ibn Khalaf, right? one of the leaders of Quraysh, one of the chieftains 
of Quraysh, one of the arch enemies of the Prophet وسلم, especially in the early, you know, the Meccan period. He's one of the main, main opponents of Islam, main opponents of the Prophet Another said, such as Muqatil, the, the famous scholar of Tafsir, he said who's being referred, the person being referred to here is Al-Aswad ibn Abd al-Asad. Al-Aswad ibn Abd al-Asad al-Makhzumi, who's also from the the leaders of Quraysh, also from the but from the tribe of Banu Makhzum this time. So Banu Makhzum is the same tribe as Abu Jahl, Khalid ibn Walid. These people all come from the tribe of Banu Makhzum or the clan of Banu Makhzum from the Quraysh. Because as we said before, Quraysh is a big tribe. You have lots of different families, clans within the bigger tribe, like Banu Hashim, Banu Muttalib, Banu Umayyah. So you also have Banu Makhzum. Abu Jahl was from Banu Makhzum and likewise was Al Aswad. Ibn Abd al-Asad and al-Aswad, this man al-Aswad is a disbeliever. His brother is one of the one of the senior companions of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, one of the early Muslims. Uh, if anyone can tell me who that is, like just type it into the comments. I'll just leave that for you, because in the verses that we will come, when Allah Azawajal then speaks in the next you know few verses about those people who receive their record of good deeds in their right hand and those who will receive it behind their back meaning the people of success and the people of failure some of the scholars said that in the first instance these are the two individuals being referred to here Al-Aswad who's the non-believer and his brother who is the believer so who's the believing brother of Al-Aswad Ibn Abd al-Asad so I've given you the surname his father's name their father's name was Abdul Asad I've given you the tribe name Banu Makhzum I've also told you he was from the earliest companions or from the, the early Muslims and from one of the famous major companions of the Prophet and once you know his name or I mention it in due course you know you'll, you'll know who the companion is he's not a he's, he's a well-known companion so these were two people like the, the two brothers but some of the scholars anyway before we come on to that inshallah in the next verse or two uh, some of the scholars said that who's being the person being referred to here is Al-Aswad Ibn Abd al-Asad, al-Aswad Ibn Abd al-Asad, who was also from the chieftains and the leaders of the Quraysh, from the arch enemies of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And that's why the teacher of our teacher, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, when he discussed this issue of the meaning of Ya uh, al insan he said, Qeel al-insanu lil-jinsi wa qeel al-fard. He said that the word insan, sometimes the Arabic language, we, we use the word ismu jins. Ismu jins is like a term that speaks about the whole, like the genus or the whole species. Right? So you say, for example, sheep. Sheep doesn't refer to the individual sheep. It's like the whole like sheep, the whole like species that is called sheep. So likewise, he says often in the Arabic language, ismu jins is used in the singular form. So you say, for example, Al-Insan, or you say Al-Muslim, the Muslim is the one, as often you will find in the Quran, Al-Muslimu man, Salim Al-Muslimun, Al-Mu'minu man, so these are the people that are the believers, and it's always used in the single form, but it doesn't mean a specific individual, it's talking about the jinns, it's talking about the whole category of people that are referred to as Muslim, as believer, as, for example, something else. So likewise, he says, this is the position, as we said, the position of the majority. وَقِيلَ لِفَرْدٍ Another said, no, it's speaking about a single individual. And he mentions a position, uh, therefore, uh, that's different to the ones that we just mentioned, that Al-Qurtubi mentions, that it's 
Al-Aswad or Ubay ibn Khalaf, he says that some of them said that it's referring to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. It's referring to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that he is the one who is toiling laboriously towards his Lord. Um, and, and that's also a correct meaning in the sense that if we take the gener- generic meaning that the word insan refers to all humans, it refers to the believers and the non-believers. It refers to the people of good and the people of evil. So just as it can refer to people like Ubi ibn Khalaf, it can also refer to the believers including the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa But then Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti says, الْآتِي But he says the context of the verse shows that Allah is referring to in the general sense and not in the specific sense. He is not referring to an individual, but rather as an ism jins, a category or a grouping. And that is all of the humans. And that is because he says, because of the following verses that then divide these humans that are laboriously toiling towards their Lord. Because Allah would then say, those who receive their record in their right hands, those who receive their records in their left hands or uh, behind their backs. So Allah then divides them further. So therefore it shows that it's not specifically speaking about a believer or a non-believer, not speaking about the Prophet or one of the leaders of Quraysh, one of the arch enemies of Islam, no. Because Allah then further divides them anyway into those two categories which shows that in the first instance is being referred to in the general sense. And he says, uh, likewise, uh, and then he also mentions Rahimullah Ta'ala, he says that this these verses, or this verse, verse number six, comes after the first five verses, in which Allah Azza wa Jal mentions just a snippet, just gives us a muqaddimah, an introduction into some of the ways that the universe will change the heavens and the earth on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And that a a person, uh, you know, a, a, the, the person who's, who's who's toiling towards the end goal, uh, almost as if like someone's, for example, running a long race, a marathon, and towards the very end they have very little left to give, very little left to give because of how tired they are, how fatigued they are, how thirsty they are, but they see that the ending is there and they're literally just pushing themselves over that finish line. He says, Al-Aqil Al-Mutabassir. He said that the person of intelligence, the person of insight, the person of wisdom is the one who doesn't make his efforts into something which doesn't please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But he does his best to ensure that the efforts, no matter how small they are, are those that are going to be pleasing to their Lord and their Creator. Pleasing to Allah azza wa jal, pleasing to their Lord and to their Creator. Um... And he says, so therefore, Allah Azza wa when he says, Ya you an insan, O people, O mankind, Allah Azza wa is referring to everyone, from the believer and the non-believer, from the bar and the fajr, the pious person and the sinful person, each one of them is toiling, each one of them is performing deeds and actions, each one of them is giving their best towards whatever their goal and their end is, and he says, therefore, each one of them is being referred to within this verse. And then he also mentions a further point, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, and that is that Allah Azza wa Jal in verses 2 and 5, after mentioning, as we said at the beginning, the major changes that will take place on Yawm Al-Qiyamah in terms of the heavens and in terms of the earth, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala says, Twice is repeated, verses 2 and 5. And they listen to their Lord and obey as they rightly must. He says, Allah Azza wa Jal is telling us in these verses, these opening five verses, that the heavens despite their vastness, 
despite how massive a creation they are, and the earth with everything that it contains, which is also a major creation. It is something so vast that none of us can really understand and encompass these two creations, that when the time comes, despite these two creations not having any responsibility, as we mentioned, what Allah Azza wa Jalla in Surah Al-Hazab said, that we offered the trust to Al-Ardi, إِنَّ عَرْضًا الْأَمَانَةَ عَلَى السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَالْجِبَالِ we, we offered it to the heavens, the earth and the mountains All of them refused to accept it Despite this, when Allah gives a command That they have to change on that day, they will do so And they will do so instantly And they will do so without any type of, of, of uh, hesitation Or any type of reluctance Or any type of not wanting to perform Or carry out the commands of Allah so he says, فَكَيْفَ بِالْإِنسَانِ عَلَى ضَعْفِهِ So then what will the situation of the people be with all of their weakness? If the heavens, the earth, the mountains, the oceans, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything in the creation of Allah Azza wa Jal, when Allah will command on Yawm Al-Qiyamah to change and He will do so instantly at the command of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, despite their vastness, their greatness, despite how massive these creations of Allah Azza wa Jal are, then what about the human that Allah Azza wa Jal is going to, going to command that he be, be made to stand from his grave, that he be or she be resurrected? What will the situation of people be on the Day of Judgment? And he says, the heavens and the earth and the mountains, they don't even have any responsibility to be questioned for. Allah won't hold them to account for anything. They didn't have any obligations that they had to perform. There's nothing that they... But despite that, they will obey the command of Allah because they will know the severity of that day. So what about the human then, who does have to respond, who does have to answer, who does have to be judged and then respond to the, 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 the accounting that will be given, the record of deeds that will be presented to them. Are you then a greater, stronger creation than the heavens? Like if this is what's going to happen to the heavens and the earth and everything else, are you bigger and stronger than them? that you think that you will escape, that you, you, you're not going to have to account, that you will somehow not have to worry about Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And so he says, وَقَدْ تَحْمِلُ أَمَانَةَ التَّكْلِيفِ And so the الْإِنسَانِ And so they didn't want to accept these responsibilities, but mankind took them. فَكَانَ أَحَقُّ بِالسَّمْعِ وَالطَّاعَةِ فِي كَدْحِ So there's more reason for us to obey and listen. The heavens and the earth, وَأَذْنَةِ رَبِّهَا وَحُقَّتْ They listen and obey to the command of their Lord. So humans, he says, have more rights. It is more befitting that they listen and obey their Lord and they do that which Allah Azza wa commands them to do and that which pleases him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I thought that, that was a very nice point from Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shinqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala. That humans in this life, whilst you still have the choice, you have the ability, Allah Azza wa has given you the means to worship him, to find that which pleases him. You have you, there's more of a right and more of responsibility upon you, more of a burden upon you that you hear and you obey and that you turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as opposed to those who who didn't or those who uh, those things that Allah hasn't given uh, hasn't given that type of, of issue to. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after mentioning verse number six, the nature of people having the dunya, all that they're doing is toiling and working and going towards an end an end goal, which is going to be at the time of their death, they will reach a point that they will cease to exist in this life, 
or in the worldly life, and therefore Allah Azza wa Jal will take them from this realm into the next realm. And that is the realm of the Barzakh, the life of the Barzakh, the existence of the Barzakh, and then obviously on Yawm Al-Qiyamah to the Akhirah, to the Hereafter. So then Allah Azza wa Jal in verses 7 onwards, now in the next few verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala divides and categorizes these people into two. Categorizes them into, into two groups. The first of them is those to whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, as he mentions in verse number 7, فَأَمَّا مَنْ أُوْتِيَ كِتَابَهُ بِيَمِينِهِ In Sahih International, then as for he who is given his record in his right hand, Al-Mufli Taqi, so as for him whose book of deeds will be given to him in his right hand. And Professor Abdul Harim, whoever is given his record in his right hand. And Muhsin Khan, then as for him who will be given his record in his right hand. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse number 7 mentions the first of these two groups. And there are only two groups as we know. As Allah Azza mentions many times in the Quran, Fariqun fil Jannah. A party of paradise and a party in the fire. And all of the different verses that then speak about the people on Yawm Al-Qiyamah only speak of, the, speak of them ever as being two groups of people, ultimately. The people of Jannah and the people of the fire. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here mentions the first of those groups and they are the groups of the believers. The people of Iman, the people of righteousness, the people that will go into Jannah. And Allah says, فَأَمَّا مَنْ أُوْتِيَ كِتَابَهُ بِيَمِينَهِ and as for the one who will be given his kitab, and the word kitab here, even though it means book in Arabic language, the word kata or kitab in, in linguistically in the Arabic language refers to anything that is inscribed or written or recorded. So it doesn't necessarily mean the book that we are all familiar with, like the books that you can see on the shelves behind me. No, anything that is written, it is maktub, will be called kitab. And that's why, as we said a few weeks back, I think, when you're speaking about the word Qur'an, like sometimes it's used to speak about other revelations, like the Torah and so on. Uh, they're called Qur'an in some of the hadith because the word Qur'an in its Arabic language, linguistic meaning, is anything that is recited. And so all of those revelations are Qur'an because they were all recited also, even though obviously the word Qur'an now refers predominantly and primarily to the, the revelation that was given to our Prophet wasallam. So the word kitab can mean different things in, the, in different contexts. From them is anything which is recorded. And so it is your record of deeds that Allah is referring to when he mentions the word kitab. There is a hadith um, of Aisha radiallahu anha concerning this verse and verses 7 and 8 uh, in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he 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 said, to, or she asked the Prophet ﷺ concerning these verses. And we'll speak about this, inshallah, when we come to verse number 18 in slightly more detail. But because uh, both of these verses are kind of linked, uh, she said, O Messenger of Allah, Allah Azza wa Jal, uh, rather the Prophet ﷺ says that I heard the Prophet say, وسلم, the person who is going to be, uh, who's going to be, cross-examined on Yawm Al-Qiyamah will be punished. Munaqasha means that there's, there's a cross-examination. There's a back and forth. Like for example, if you were to go to a court case and you're a, you're a defendant or, or you're the, you know, whoever you are, you're a witness and the solicitor or the lawyer, the barrister stands up and he starts to cross-examine you. 
That's called munaqasha. Munaqasha, literally in the Arabic language, is to debate. Right? It's, it's to debate. So the Prophet said, Whoever has that type of cross-examination done with them, then they will be they will be punished. Or in the other wording, Whosoever has a cross-examination done to them on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, they will be destroyed. So Aisha said, O Messenger of Allah, and we'll speak about this as we said, uh, inshallah, when we come to verse number 8 in slightly more detail. She said, O Messenger of Allah, but Allah Azza wa Jal says, فَأَمَّا مَنْ أُوْتِيَ كِتَابَهُ بِيَمِينِهِ فَسَوْفَ يُحَاسَبُ حِسَابًا يَسِيرًا as for the one who gets the record of deeds in their right hand, then Allah Azza will give to them an easier counting. So the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, That is a presentation only, meaning that they are given their record of deeds, but Allah Azza doesn't need to question them about them. There's no cross-examination, then they're given them, and then they're told, you know, you're, you're, you're successful, and, 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 you're, and they're given Jannah. But if they're going to be cross-examined, no, then they will be punished. Because Allah will only cross-examine those people that is going to punish. And it seems that Allah knows best that that's where you, we, we understand therefore other hadith. Like for example, the hadith in which the Prophet spoke of the man who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, will veil him. He will place a curtain or a veil around him and between the rest of creation. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then start to question him and remind him of the many deeds, of the many misdeeds that he did, the many sins that he performed, he'll remind him, didn't you do such and such on that that day, didn't you do such and such? And the man who keeps saying yes, 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 until he will think that he's going to be destroyed because of all of these uh, sins that he's being reminded of by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah Azza wa will say to him that I veiled them for you in the dunya, so today I will forgive them for you. Just as I concealed them for you in the dunya, then today I will conceal them from the other people, I will forgive them for you. These hadith and similar hadith to this uh, show that, the, that these people are not being cross-examined. Allah Azza isn't questioning them, why didn't you do this? And they're not giving excuses. They're not turning back to Allah Azza and debating as Allah Azza mentions about the disbelievers, that they will, you know, they will, they will have a, a kind of cross-examination as you see in, in, in the hadith. That they're saying, oh Allah, let us go back and this is what we'll do. Oh Allah, it was our parents, our forefathers, this is what they, oh Allah, it was shaitan. And so they will make excuses. So there's a back and forth here. That is a cross-examination that is taking place. So it seems that Allah knows best is that this hadith, which is the narration of Aisha radiallahu anha, is saying that the person for the believers, it is simply presentation. So Allah makes every stage of Yawm Al-Qiyamah easy for the believers, even this. Because it's a daunting thing but they will be given the record of deeds in their right hand, and that's enough. They don't need to have anything else done. There's no cross-examination. There's no, there's no debating. There's no argumentation. It is enough of a sign that they have attained the reward of Allah Azza wa and His mercy. And that's what Allah Azza wa mentions uh, in Surah Al-Haqa, that when those people get the book in their right deeds, the, the book of right deeds in their right hand, the book of good deeds in their right hand, they will shout out and they will say, look at this book or look at this reading or read this record of mine. right? And so this is uh, similar to it, but inshallah we'll, we'll speak about it um, maybe in slightly more detail when we come to verse number 8 as well. But it's a, it's a, an important hadith, I think, in the context of understanding the differences in the way that Allah Azza wa Jal will treat 
these two groups of people because the believers from the moment of resurrection they will be given a great deal of comfort and ease that Allah will give to them on Yawm Al-Qiyamah by virtue of their Iman. Allah Azzawajal, as, as Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala says, يُثَبِّتُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْقَوْلِ الثَّابِتِ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ Allah will give firmness and steadfastness to the people who had the steadfast statement, meaning of La ilaha illallah, in the dunya and in the akhirah. So it's not just in the dunya, but at the time of death and in the grave and on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. They're also given steadfastness, they're given, uh, they're given, cons- uh, they're, they're consoled, they're given tranquility, they're given safety, all of these things, even on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So, um, so Allah Azza wa favors these people, and even their accounting, therefore, is different to the word that we would think, or the way that we would think that Allah Azza wa will forgive them. And so, therefore, for the believers, and it seems to be that Allah Azza wa knows best, that for those who commit the major sins, and Allah chooses then to punish them as a result of that, even though they're believers, that they may be some... Uh, some type of cross-examination for them and Allah knows best, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Uh, however, for the believers who go straight into Jannah, no, for them it is just a presentation, al-ard. Ard means that they're just given, they just presented their record of deeds uh, on Yawm Al-Qiyamah and Allah knows best. Ibn Ashur, rahima, uh, sorry, Imam Al-Tabari before that, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, فَأَمَّا مَنْ عُطِيَ كِتَابَ عَمَالِهِ بِيَمِينِهِ as for the one who's given his record of good deeds in his right hand. And Ibn Ashur ta'ala, said that the kitab, as we said, refers to the record of deeds, Sahifatul Amal. And it's mentioned that these people will be given it in their right hand because as we know in the Sharia, everything which is good and pure and noble is used in the context of the right hand. And there's two issues here which, which we, we sometimes people get confused about with. And that is that some people are naturally left-handed, right? They're right-left-handed, they're, they're more dominant with their left hand, they prefer their left hand. And that's okay in terms of the mubahat, like in terms of just the general average everyday things that you do. So you want to read and flip a page with your left hand, you want to write with the left hand, you want to, like that's fine, you have a mouse or a keyboard that's left-hand inclined or scissors or whatever it may be, that's fine. But when it comes to the issues that the Sharia tells you should be done with the right hand or should be done with the left hand, then you don't have a choice with that. That's not something which you have a choice with. Because in the hadith in which the man came to the Prophet وسلم, and I think if I'm not mistaken, it's the hadith of Salama ibn al an. He says that the man was sitting with the Prophet وسلم, and was eating with his left hand. The Prophet said to him, Kul eat with your right hand. He said, I can't do it, O Messenger of Allah. Not because he can't physically do it, didn't want to do it. He said, no, it's, it's not my thing, I can't do it. So the Prophet said, Mastata'at. then you'll never be able to do so. Meaning it's a supplication against him. And the narrator says, he was never able to use his right hand again in terms of eating. He was never able to lift it to his mouth ever again. And that's because this person didn't understand what the Prophet said. He wasn't saying to him that you can't favor your left hand in your everyday chores and the way you get dressed and undressed and you... But when the Sharia says to you, this is how you should behave in terms of uh, eating, in terms of entering, in terms of going to the bathroom or exiting, in terms of all of those issues, then no, then you have to make that your, especially when the Sharia tells you the reasons, like in the, in, the, in the case of eating, don't eat with the left hand for shaitan, eats with his left hand, don't drink with the left hand for shaitan, drinks with his left hand. 
So the Sharia tells you the wisdom behind it as well. So generally speaking, the Sharia has told us that when it comes to doing things that are noble and good, like greeting people, shaking the hand, or starting somewhere, or you always start from the right side. You always start with the right hand. So if, like the Prophet ﷺ would do, when he would be drinking from a vessel, and it's going to be shared around a group of people, he would begin with the person to his right. As I mentioned the hadith where on one occasion the Prophet ﷺ was sitting, and on his left was Abu Bakr, and on his right was a Bedouin. So after he finished drinking, Umar said, O Messenger of Allah, give it to Abu Bakr. Because Umar knows that usually the soul is going to go to the right, but he wants to favor Abu Bakr because of his position, his virtue, his status. The Prophet ﷺ said, no, you always give it to the one at the right. And it will go round. Right? Each person is going to give it to the person to their right. So we have a number of these etiquettes, and these etiquettes are important, especially in our time, because we have, unfortunately, living in the West, you know, most of us are told from the age of school to eat with the left hand, right? Hold the knife and fork in a certain way. Eat with the left hand, drink with the left hand, and so on. And so this becomes very common then amongst many Muslims, and especially for our youngsters, our children, our youth, but even for many of our elders. The amount of people that you see eating with the left hand, if you go to a restaurant, or, you know, sometimes in Hajj, we have groups of people that I take, alhamdulillah, for Hajj. The number of people in Mecca and Medina, and not because they're, doing something intentionally, you know, they, they're trying to do a sin or they just don't know any better, they, they didn't realize, they haven't learnt. So the, the number of people that eat with their left hand is shocking and surprising. And I'm not speaking about young people, I'm speaking about people in their 50s and 60s and 70s, parents, sometimes grandparents, like people old in age, people who have come, many of them migrants themselves, so they're not even first generation uh, or the first generation uh, into this country, they've come from other places. So uh, but still because of a lack of awareness and a lack of, of teaching regarding these issues. So the Sharia always says that you favor the right. And so likewise Allah Azza wa Jal will favor the right on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. The record of deeds will be given to people in their right hand as a result or as a indication that they have, uh, that they have uh, attained success on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And the ba al-ba lil-musahaba, right, biyameenah. They will be given it into their right hands to show to them that this is uh, th- this is your record of deeds, which shows your success. And the right always in the Sharia speaks about barakah, you know, speaks about uh, speaks about anything which is good, anything which is uh, anything which is positive and noble, always with the right hand. And anything which is the opposite, like for example, cleansing yourself and cleaning yourself, and that's always done with the left hand within the Sharia. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, Allah azza wa jal in, in, in this verse therefore, فَأَمَّا مَنْ أُوْتِيَ كِتَابَهُ بِيَمِينِهِ speaks about this first group of people, how Allah azza wa jal will honor them, and from the honor is that they will be given, presented their record of good deeds in their right hand, and they will take it in and receive it in their right hand, and that in itself will be an indication of their success, and the fact that Allah azza wa jal will favor them on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Okay, I think we will, we will pause there for today, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, and then inshallah next week we'll continue with these verses that speak about the rewards of these people or, or the way that these people will be, how to account on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, the people of the right-hand side who, re, who, uh, who receive their record of deeds in their right hands. Okay, and I'll leave that question also therefore for next week. So the question was, we have Al-Aswad ibn Abdul Asad. Right, he was from the leaders of Quraysh, but his brother, who was a believer, was a famous companion. And these verses now 
some of the scholars said, just as as uh, the, the, the wrongdoer was him, Al-Aswad, the right doer, the good person, the person that's being referred to primarily in these verses, is referring to uh, his brother. So who was his brother? Who was his brother? And then you can, inshallah ta'ala, tell me next week, research into that, his name and who he was, radiyallahu Okay, um, in terms of questions, question one within QP, you refer to a few translations of the Quran. There is another translation which seems to be becoming more well known, and I wondered if you were familiar with it and recommended it, Dr. Mustafa Khattab, the clear Quran. He has also made a four-volume children version. So I just want to know if it is a trustworthy translator. I haven't looked, so I've used some of his, I've used his translation. Um, I found that it's, like I haven't done an extensive reading or read it from cover to cover. However, I found that it's good in, 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 in one way, and especially for certain groups of people like, I think, for example, new Muslims, non-Muslims, um, I think, you know, possibly people that haven't like got much of a connection with the Quran generally. So what he usually does is rather than giving, um, at least uh, unless I've confused him with someone else now, but I believe it's the same individual, same the same translator. What he often does in his translations is rather than just giving you the verse translation, he gives you an explanation. Because sometimes, as you know, like if, if you're like in the middle of, of uh, you know, I just say to you, I'm just giving a talk. Or I, oh, you just open it randomly on this verse. Whoever receives their reward in their right hand or, or the record of deeds in their right hand. Rather than just giving you that simple translation, he gives you the context that Allah Azza is referring to the people of the Day of Judgment and those people who will be successful will be those who will. So he'll give a bit of a commentary as opposed to just a translation. That's good. Uh, I've used it uh, primarily for when, when I do stuff for non-new Muslims uh, and preparing material for them. Because sometimes when you're using a verse, like you want to speak about an issue of Iman. So Allah speaks about an issue of Iman in, in, in a verse in the Quran. Just uh, you know, any verse of the Quran that speaks about, for example, Iman, speaks about Salah, speaks about... But the verse itself is in, you know, it's the context of a number of verses. And it's speaking uh, in a way that, you know, with, that people would be familiar with the context of what's being referred to. But that's not always the case, especially for people that don't have a great level of knowledge about the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Quran and so on. And so I think that translation is good because what it will do is it will actually expand so that even if you were just to take that one verse, you have some context to it so you can understand, okay, this is what this verse is referring to. It makes it longer, makes it longer, uh, especially when it comes to you know writing and so on. Uh, but I think in terms of reading and reference, it's probably good. As for the children's version, I haven't seen the children's version, but I think it's a good idea, like doing a tafsir. That's easy for children to understand. Or sorry, a tafsir would be good as well. But even a translation that's easy in terms of its language and and its concepts, um, I think you know I think that's like a good idea. But I haven't I haven't seen I haven't come across it. And you said it's four volumes. So I don't I don't know why it's four volumes. I must be big. Okay. And the second question was I've noted with page by page tafsir, and it's probably similar with QP. With each verse, you explained how it's linked to the previous verse. From my limited experience, I haven't noted this with tafsir books like Jalalin Kathir, Ibn Kathir al-Sa'di. Is this particular tafsir methodology, for example, thematic? No, not really. I mean, they so they do and they don't. I mean, they expect you to kind of know the link between these verses as you read through those books of tafsir. So remember, like especially al-Sa'di, Ibn Kathir. Al-Sa'di doesn't more, to be fair. I think the more contemporary tafsirs and the more recent tafsirs, I think they focus on this more the more classical tafsirs like Ibn Kathir and so on, 
they're focusing on the statements of the Salaf and, and, and what have you and, and they would expect you to be able to make that link, I believe themselves, as often was the case in the Salaf. Amongst the Salaf, you often find in the books that they'll give you a chapter heading and have a number of a hadith. They expect you to be able to understand the relevance of that hadith to the chapter heading. And that's not always obvious, by the way. Anyone that's read Bukhari or any of these major works of hadith will know that sometimes the chapter heading and you're, you're, you're scratching your head as to how this hadith fits within that chapter heading. But they expected that because that was their level of knowledge and what they were accustomed to at that time. So I think that is a difference that's taking place over time. From my, um, from my uh, experience, the more recent tafsirs like a Saadi, like the tafsir of our teacher, Sheikh Abbaqal al-Jazairi, like the tafsir of, of some of these scholars that have, are more recent, that have written, uh, I think they make more of a, you know, they, they make more of, of an effort in that. And also there's a difference between written tafsir and spoken tafsir. So when you teach, you have the ability to kind of do that. In a, in a writing, in a, in, in a book, not always easy to keep linking in that way. I think as, as a writing thing, it may be more difficult to do as well. So maybe that's another reason. Allah Okay, so inshallah we'll conclude that today. Barakallahu feekum. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.